0: Good morning. These are the readings and sermon for Sunday, May 10th, 2020. This is the sixth Sunday after Easter. It's also Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms and grandmoms out there. Our first reading today comes from the book of Psalms. It is a portion of Psalm 31. We'll be reading from Psalm 31, starting at verse 1, and then we'll jump to a later portion. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. And we jump down to verse 15. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant and save me in your steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from uh, Peter's first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 2. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The holy gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. John, the 14th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And the Father may be glorified, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. As we turn now to the preaching of the Word, let us pray. Come now, Holy Spirit. As we turn to the Word of God, show us Jesus. Form us more into the image of Jesus. Let us exalt Jesus and be glorified in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're living in a time of scattering. Last week, the first week of May, May 3rd, we talked about the COVID-19 crisis as a time of shaking. And now uh, I want us to think about scattering being a part of this shaking, a part of this crisis. Now think about where we've been and think about where we've not been for a number of weeks now, about seven weeks. We're scattered. The places where we used to gather in homes and in work, in restaurants and in churches, they've been sort of off limits, some specifically so, and some because of responsibility to the greater whole. And in a world where loneliness is already a huge problem, the scattering of social isolation has caused stress and anxiety. We're lonely and lonelier than before. Well, this morning, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10, I'd like for us to notice this really good news. God is the God who gathers. He creates for himself a people in Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. Believers are a people, and the people have the purpose of proclamation. Peter writes to churches in what is present-day Turkey. Once called Asia Minor, these folks received the gospel of Jesus Christ probably through the ministry of St. Paul and spread from there. They were likely undergoing some forms of persecution, cues, and hints inside the letter itself show us that they are being persecuted at some level. And and so St. Peter, Apostle Peter, he's writing to them to encourage them, to remind them of who they are, and to call them to continue in their faithfulness to the Lord. Here in our passage for today, Peter reminds them of who they are as a church in Jesus Christ. Let's first look together at what Peter says about Jesus, the foundation, the cornerstone. Then let's look and see what Peter says about the people together. In verse 4, he says, As you come to him. "...a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious." He's here talking about Jesus, right? Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God. Running through this passage, this entire passage, you'll see sort of allusions to direct quotes from and hints back towards passages of the Old Testament. There's a theme here of Jesus being fulfillment. There's a theme even of the church being fulfillment of prophecies from the Old Testament of types and shadows. And here in verse 16, Peter quotes from I'm sorry, here in 2nd Peter or 1st Peter chapter 2, Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16, where Isaiah says, "Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. God, through the prophet Isaiah, promised the people of Israel and Judah that he would bring about the creation of a new people. He uses the metaphor of a building project, a great construction that he himself will oversee. God declares that he will select the cornerstone, that he would place the cornerstone, and that his new project, his new people, this construction, would be built upon the cornerstone. Now, it's not an exaggeration to say that the cornerstone was the single most important stone for an ancient building, an ancient structure. It was the most solid stone. The cornerstone would have been specifically chosen. It would have been carefully cut and prepared. It would have been placed at the corner where two walls joined together. It would have held those walls together. It would have sustained the entirety of the building. It would have provided the foundation square from which all the rest of the stones would be placed. Of the entire project, of an entire ancient world building project, the cornerstone was the most important. And without a chosen, without a precious cornerstone, without a p- cornerstone artfully prepared, the entire project would fail. No matter how expensive, no matter how beautiful, no matter how intricate the architectural design, without the proper cornerstone, it would crumble. Notice what Peter's saying here, building upon Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, and what God himself declared for his church, God Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. He is that which holds the church together. Everything else is built off of him. He is the one who sustains the church, and he is the square by which it is measured. Peter is... Without a doubt, unequivocally declaring that the prophecy found in Isaiah is fulfilled because the cornerstone, Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior, ascended into heaven, is chosen and precious. He was set into place. Jesus, the living stone. In continuing his theme of fulfillment, Peter clearly states that when it comes to Jesus, the cornerstone, there are only two outcomes: a person is either built upon Him, or a person stumbles over Him. In chapter two, verse eight, Peter quotes from another Isaiah passage, Isaiah eight fourteen, when he writes that Jesus, the cornerstone, is quote a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. When it comes to the living stone, there's no middle ground as a person will either accept him or reject him. When it comes to being a part of God's people, God's project of building, God's new construction, God's new people, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If one accepts Jesus, then as we'll see in just a few minutes, one is incorporated into the new building, the new people of God. One comes to the Father. If one rejects Jesus, then one disobeys the Word of God. One stumbles and falls. What we have to see here is that Jesus as the cornerstone is absolutely central to God's plan and purpose for his creation. Jesus is absolutely central to the plan of gathering, God the gatherer. The grand story of God's gathering a people for himself begins in Genesis chapter 12. After the literal scattering of the Babel incident in Genesis chapter 11, the Lord said to a single man, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The rest of the scripture, the rest of the Bible, is the story of God fulfilling the promise, this promise to Abram, in and through Jesus. All of the Bible is about Jesus and the work of gathering, the fulfillment of God's promises made to Abram, who becomes Abraham. They are ultimately about Christ and the people God gathers through him. Abraham became the father of Israel, and while Israel sought to organize and live life around themselves and apart from God, even while God judged, restored, judged, and restored again and again, the promise remained. Even while the people of Israel are sent into exile because of their sin, the promise remains that through a single individual, God's work of gathering a new people would be completed. That promise we heard from Isaiah that Peter counts on. And so like a Polaroid picture developing as we shake it, the promises of God come into focus and resolution as the New Testament dawns. Jesus is the one who will gather and his new people, they are the church. Just about halfway through the gospel, according to St. Matthew, Jesus says this to his disciples. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The story of Scripture is the story of God's actions in calling a people to himself, in making a people of his own, in calling humanity to be built upon the cornerstone that he provides The God of the Bible is the God of gathering, and this gathering finds its fulfillment in the people of God, gathered around Jesus, the church. Jesus' work to gather, his work as the cornerstone, leads him to the cross. The sinful people cannot be gathered to holy God without atonement, without forgiveness, without cleansing. In Jesus, full restitution for sin is made. Sinful people can receive forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to God, to holy God, by his substitutionary atonement and death. Jesus' work to gather a people leads him to resurrection. God's people gathered are a people alive because the Savior is alive. Living stones made by the living stone. And Jesus' work of gathering leads him to pour out the Holy Spirit. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church, the gathering of God's people out of the great scattering, an undoing of Babel. The triune God is now fulfilling his eternal purposes of gathering a people for himself, around himself, a people built upon Jesus, the living stone, the cornerstone. Peter uses this building metaphor to describe the church. Second Peter, I'm sorry, I keep saying that. I mean, First Peter, chapter two. Look at verse five. You yourselves are living stones. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Each believer in Jesus is a living stone, but they are together being built into a spiritual house, a new temple where God dwells. Notice what's happening here. There isn't just a bunch of individual living stones scattered about. No, the living stones are gathered into a house, a temple. Together, as a whole, believers in Jesus are placed within this metaphor and spiritual reality, placed stone by stone exactly where God wants them to be, upon and based around, measured by, squared off of, supported by, strengthened by Jesus, the cornerstone, the living stone, all of us put together into a spiritual temple. And God dwells in his people by the power of his Holy Spirit. Where in the Old Testament, God's presence dwelt in that tabernacle. God's presence dwelt in that temple, a physical location. Now in this new era under Christ, God dwells in his people by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he creates, he creates for himself a people who are themselves holy priests. Every believer is a brick in the wall of God's spiritual house. Those who believe in him have a new identity as themselves living stones within a new temple, given a new role as part of this holy priesthood representing God to the world, and with a new purpose, the offering of spiritual sacrifices. Offering spiritual sacrifices goes beyond our times of praise and worship. It actually incorporates every single aspect of our behavior transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit, being built into the spiritual house, being formed into a whole greater than its parts. Notice what Peter says in verse 7, it is an honor. So the honor is for you who believe. What is this honor? It's being made a living stone, it's being put together around Christ into a spiritual temple, being brought together as God's new building project. The honor is for you who believe. In God's way of doing things, those who respond to Jesus with trust receive unimaginable honor as they are given a new identity. They're built upon Jesus, gathered into God's people. And I can't help but wonder, when's the last time we considered belonging to a church an honor? Responding to Jesus with faith changes everything about the one who believes. Sins are forgiven. They're ransomed out of their former futile and ignorant ways. He said that earlier in his letter, Peter did. Believers are adopted in God's family. He's going to talk about believers now being exiles. Gathered to God, believers in Jesus are made new, not because they've done a thing to earn it, not because they've risen to a level of acceptance before God that merits his favor, but because God promised to create a new people. He sent Jesus to be the cornerstone, and he graciously builds those who believe upon him as he gathers for himself a people. And this is exactly how Peter begins to describe the church in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And again, there's Old Testament allusions, Old Testament thoughts flowing through this passage. Peter here is actually using terms from Exodus chapter 19, where he proclaims, where, where Peter here, using these terms from Exodus chapter 19, is proclaiming that in and by Jesus, believers are God's chosen people. In Exodus chapter 19, God had just delivered the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. He ransomed them. He rescued them. He brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and to the foot of Mount Sinai. There, Moses went up to meet God, and God declared the terms of his covenant. If they obeyed him, if they kept his covenant, then they would be among all his nation, all the nations, his Treasured possessions, his kingdom of priests, mediating his presence to the world. They would be his holy nation, set apart and different from the world for the blessing of the world. This promise made to Israel in Exodus chapter 19 pointed forward, pointed toward a time in which God's chosen people would be a collection of folks from all races, from all nations, from all tribes, languages, people groups, formed into a new race, a holy nation because of Jesus. Jesus. Chosen by God. this is his idea of an elect exile from very early on in his letter, chosen by God, ransomed by Jesus to mediate His presence to the unbelieving world to set apart and you know, to be set apart and unified as holy people, reflecting the Father, a people of His own possession. Now Peter says, "This is who you are. and this is who the church is today. If we believe in Jesus, we are a part of God's special and treasured possession. If you believe in Jesus, you are a part of God's chosen race, a member of a multinational, multiethnic, multiracial, multilanguage nation that spreads across time and space, a people of diverse opinions and preferences, of varying political affiliations and voting records, even of radically different allegiances to college football teams all submitting to one another and united in diversity under Christ. And not because we deserve it, but because in his grace and through Jesus, God called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's forming a people for himself around Jesus. And if you are in Jesus, you are not alone. You're part of a people. You're not alone. You're a brick in the wall of this spiritual house. You're not alone. You are a part of a people that belongs to God. A number of years ago, author Philip Yancey wrote in Christianity Today, beginning with Pentecost, the Christian church dismantled the barriers of gender, race, and social class that had marked Jewish congregations. One modern Indian pastor told me, Most of what happens in Christian churches, including even miracles, can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. But in my area, only Christians strive, however ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups That's the real miracle. Yancey goes on to reflect, Diversity complicates rather than simplifies life. Perhaps for this reason we tend to surround ourselves with people of similar age, economic class, and opinion. Church offers a place where infants and grandparents, unemployed and executives, immigrants, and blue bloods can come together. Just yesterday, I sat sandwiched between an elderly man hooked up to a puffing oxygen tank and a breastfeeding baby who grunted loudly and contentedly throughout the sermon. Where else can we find that mixture? Once, not a people. Once, not a people. Receiving mercy, but now because of Jesus, because of grace, because of faith, now a people now receiving mercy. In this beautiful allusion to Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, Peter brings the great reversal more into focus. We were once distant, wandering in the darkness of our ignorance and futility. We were split apart from God and God's new people. But now believers in Jesus, believers in the cornerstone, the living stone, have been brought into God's great light, forgiven, made new. They've been brought, we've been brought home. Is it any surprise then that Peter expects, Peter says, the purpose of God's new people is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's a purpose that lies behind God's gathering of his people in Jesus. God's gathering work has always been about the blessing of his creation. What was it he, that God told Abram? I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Why is it then that God's new people, the church, why does it exist why does God gather for himself a people built upon Jesus? Folks it's for his own glory. Why does God do what he does in time and history through Jesus? It's for his own glory. So that his people will praise him and to and proclaim his excellencies. Belonging to a new people is a benefit of the gospel. The gospel is centered. It is for our good, but ultimately God does what God does. For his own glory. To tell others about Jesus and God's people gathered in him, and thus to participate in God's gathering work. That's the purpose of the church, to proclaim his excellencies. God is the God who gathers. He forms a people for himself through Jesus, and God's people are formed with the purpose of proclamation. I just want to tease out this morning two implications uh, from this particular passage. This is a great truth. The God is a God who gathers. Now in this time of scattering, now in this time of separation, now in this time of anxiety and loneliness, it's really a great truth for us to hear again and again and again. We're not alone. God is the God who gathers. God is the God who gathers for himself a new people in Jesus. Our last Alpha Session It always ends with a conversation about the church and why the church is good for all of us and why the church is good news for the scattered and lonely, the marginalized, the overlooked and the ignored. God is so gracious to us in the church because as we hear in Alpha, it's in the church that we can find and we do find friends, we find a family, we find a home as we find Jesus. And in a world of expressive humanism, in a world of radical and rugged individualism, Jesus offers the church both as an antidote and as a refuge. These things that the world tells us will give us friends, will give us family, will give us a home, these things that the world promises to give us the benefits for which we seek, those things are actually going to fade in splendor and glory. The things the world has to offer are going to fail but the people of of God gathered in Jesus will remain. So let us grow in love and appreciation for the church. Let us grow in love for our fellow bricks in the wall. Let us seek the good and the flourishing of the members of our family. The universal church and the local church is a benefit of the gospel. Membership is an honor, and it's a benefit which proclaims the excellencies of God precisely because of what it is. The relationships that exist between the members of God's people, brick to brick, is also a very public witness to the excellencies of God. And this leads us directly into a second and very practical, albeit challenging, implication. What is to define the relationships between the members of God's family? How, are, how is brick to relate to brick? How is family member to re- relate to family member? biblically right scriptures are our authority in life and faith biblically what do we see the relationships of brick to brick of of members of god's family brothers and sisters one to another is to be love agape probably the hardest four letter word in the english language love Whether you are a member of Emmanuel Anglican Church, whether you are a member of another local church and you're joining us remotely, let me ask you, does this bit of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, does this to define the relationships brick to brick, brother to sister, sister to, does this define relationships between the members of our family? We don't often think about the witness that our relationships one to another really is to the world. Not only do we proclaim the excellencies of God with our words, but we actually proclaim the reality of God and His excellencies, His transforming power in Jesus by the way we live and the way we love. My hope and my prayer, they are that we will emerge from this time of scattering, this time of isolation, that we will emerge gathered with a renewed sense of the honor found in being a part of God's people in Christ That we will emerge and gather again with great love and affection for one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, not insisting on our own way, not being irritable or resentful, not being envious or boastful, not arrogant or rude, but rather being patient and kind, rejoicing with the truth. My hope and my prayer is that we will come out of this, gathered again again for the proclamation of, Of God's excellencies. God is the God who gathers a people for himself. He gathers his people in and through Jesus. And he forms his people in Jesus for the purpose of proclamation. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.